Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to my show, number 453, Expressive Language Milestones by 18 Months, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk. We're the largest online provider of ASHA-approved continuing education courses for therapists. Today, we're continuing our Language Milestone podcast series, and today is show number four of a 14-part series where we're looking at all the language milestones from about 12 months old or by 12 months old, all the way up to 48 months. We'll be tackling these milestones in six-month increments, and we'll have one show for expressive per age range and then one show for receptive. So in this course, like I said in the introduction, we are talking about expressive language milestones by 18 months. We are covering loads of material today, so if you don't usually purchase a handout, today might be a show that you want to do that for. This is a fantastic tool for therapists because you can certainly use it to guide your own goals when you're setting goals for children. You can use it as a parent education resource so that you're talking about uh, with a parent about where their child is. And I I love this handout because the directions and practically every word that I'm going to say will be right here on uh, the handout. So be sure that you are checking that out. Uh, Purchasing the handout is also a fantastic way to support our work here at Teach Me to Talk. So if you are another professional or a parent or a grandparent and want to uh, reach out and do that, we would certainly appreciate that. And you can find out links for those below here on YouTube, below the post here. And if you're listening to the podcast, this is show number 453, and you can get information about that, how to enroll and how to get that handout at my website at Teach Me to Talk. And one last thing, if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please do so. All right, so for parents tuning in to see how a child is doing let's go ahead and review these milestones Uh, and again these are the ones that we want children to accomplish by the time they're 18 months and again remember this is a list of typically developing milestones and so I'm going to talk about that later versus our little language delayed friends and how we how we use this list but let's go ahead and just talk about the milestones and again you can find this on your handout so uh, look at that right now so the skills are the first one is imitates play sounds and words frequently and spontaneously so what does that mean so little play sounds if you were with me back in the previous show 451 where we looked at language skills by 12 months we talked about play sounds and what they are so these are little words like exclamatory words like wow and whee and oh no or uh you know whoo any little sound like that uh, little sound effects or things like animal sounds like moo and quack and blah 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 or uh, things like vehicle noises your motor sound or vroom vroom anything like that so those little words plus familiar words and we're going to talk about that a lot today and then we had two other kind of qualitative measures there is frequently so meaning not just occasionally not just a few words here and there throughout the day but a lot and spontaneously and what does that mean that means on their own and not imitated and so again I 
no, I'm sorry. It means that they're imitating on their own without lots of direct cues. So that's what we're talking about here because the whole milestone is imitation. So that was the first one. Secondly, and we'll talk about that a lot later as we go, but, but let's just keep going and get through this milestone list so we know what we're talking about today. The second milestone is uses gestures to purposefully communicate. And remember what gestures are. These are little body movements that we use to convey a message. So when we point, we're essentially saying either look Look, or I want that or when we wave we're saying bye-bye or when we're clapping we're expressing approval or excitement so a child here about 18 months we want them using their gestures to purposefully communicate and again this is so important for kids before they learn words because it tells us they're about to acquire words because they're now symbolic thinkers meaning that the gesture represents an idea that they want to say and again when they start to use these to purposefully communicate we know that words are coming because they have the language capacity or the language skill and, and the cognitive skill to be able to know what those gestures mean and then to use those to communicate with you. All right, so the third milestone we'll be talking about today is combines gestures and vocalizations. And I love this skill. It's not on every developmental assessment. I'm, I'm talking too much in the intro. We'll get to it later, but it's a really important marker for uh, looking at how a child, again, is developing language and what might be coming next after we start to see uh, that milestone emerge. Uh, the fourth milestone we'll be discussing is names, five to seven familiar objects. And this gets really exciting for parents because now children are responding and really using their words in response when we ask them, what's this? Or, or even when they're spontaneously naming it. So a wonderful, wonderful emerging skill that we see here in this age range. The next one is adds words to build spontaneous vocabulary. And this is when we know that a child is really going to be a talker. And so when a kid has more than a handful of words, we know again that that language explosion is building and we'll talk a lot about language explosion here in this developmental period. The next one is uses true words within jargon. And so jargon, uh, that official definition is long, unintelligible strings of sounds. And so, you know, whatever. I'm a terrible... I. I cannot model jargon as well as some other speech pathologists can, but it's a wonderful skill. And again, we'll talk about when we see that, what we anticipate will come next, and then what's happening when that can go and kind of turn atypical too. So we'll be discussing that. The next milestone is so fun, sings independently. So now you're finally going to get some feedback as a mom. You've been singing now for a year and a half <laughs> to this sweet baby, and now he or she is going to try to sing back. So a great little milestone that we'll talk about. The next one is a real pragmatic function, meaning language use. So it's asks to have some needs met. So this is when a child starts to make some initial request. And this is contingent upon what? They have to have some words before they can really start to ask. Now kids can do it with gestures and vocalizations and that's fantastic. But here the milestone is that they're going to use some words to ask you to meet their needs. The next two kind of go hand in hand when we're looking at expressive language. There are two common things that children begin to say as they begin to talk. And lots of times it's just that they've heard these little, this word and this little holistic phrase enough that now that they're beginning to use it. So it's asks for more. And that's specifically, you know, using the word 
we could count the sign here as well or any kind of AAC and let me just say if a child is an AAC user an augmentative alternative communication form that could be signs it could be gestures uh, it could be a picture system it could be a device we want to still give them credit for these these skills because they are using the pragmatic function and again, back when I said asked to have some needs met, let me clarify. I said that needs to be spoken. There, um, um, you certainly anytime a child is using AAC, we want to still go ahead and give them credit for that skill. So I wanted to mention that. And then the last skill here turns a little bit technical. We talked about it back in show 451, but here we're going to bump it up a little bit more because remember all of these milestones build upon one another. So a child usually meets the milestones well, with typical development and even with a delay, they meet the milestones in one age range before they solidly uh, meet the next ones. And we'll see kids with atypical development who have splinter skills, meaning that they're kind of all over the place. They might have a few skills at 12 to 18 months, but then they have some, but not all of them, maybe three or four on this list. And then they have three or four more in the 18 to 24 month range. And so again, there's some and then maybe even some more up in 24 to 30. And will typically developing kids have some strengths and kind of get ahead in some things? Absolutely. But their bottom age ranges are all filled in, all mastered. And so that's the difference that we know with splinter skills. It's not that a kid might have, you know, a skill way up here in the stratosphere. It's really when a kid has splinter skills, we're saying that they're missing some very foundational skills at earlier language levels. All right. So that was our entire list for... Uh, 12 to 18 months with expressive language. Now, if you're wondering about the resource or the sources for these developmental milestones, I spent a lot of time talking about that back in short shows 450 and 451. So go back and listen to those if you want that information. All right, let's uh, begin with a reminder for our parents and professionals who are not speech language pathologists about uh, the definitions. Let's talk about the definitions for expressive language and receptive language. Now, expressive language, what we're talking about today, is what a kid expresses or says. And it means the child's words, but certainly can also be expressed through gestures, through body language, through even facial expressions like we talked about back in show 450. But expressive language is only one part of the communicative piece. And lots of times parents just think about communication as strictly what a child is able to convey or say. But that's not the entire picture. Receptive language plays such an important part with expressive language. And actually, if we think about it, expressive language is highly, highly dependent upon receptive language. So what's receptive language? It's the input piece. It's the uh, vocabulary that a child understands. So all the words that he or she comprehend and know what they mean. Many, many times the reasons that toddlers talk later is because they really don't understand words well enough to use words. And so that's certainly something that we as early intervention therapists need to always be cognizant of when we're talking with parents. And just because a parent says something like, he understands everything you know that's not true because you know what typical language development entails and you know that even a typically developing even a child who's doing well cognitively at 18 months does not understand everything and so when a parent says that kind of thing you know you really want to take a step back and that's not that again that children won't have some strengths and won't 
again, you know, typically developing toddlers always understand a lot more than they can say. But at the same time, parents routinely miss receptive language delays. And so we always have to be uh, aware of that and always talk with parents about that and anytime there's a receptive language delay what do we automatically expect we expect an expressive delay and so if a child doesn't understand words he's not going to be able to use those words uh, to communicate so that's what we really want to do when we're talking about uh, with language delays with parents is really explain both pieces of language development with expressive and receptive language so that they understand exactly where their child is functioning. And if that's the reason their child is not talking yet, you need to say that and you need to make that connection for them so that they get it. On the other hand, if a child has excellent receptive language skills for his or her uh, age, you need to say that too and you need to talk about what a strength that is for that child and how uh, other kids with language delays might be in a different situation and that can certainly help a parent feel a little bit better sometimes um, in that process. All right, so let's talk about 12 to 18 months. What a wonderful developmental period, right? So many things are happening here. And we talked about back in show 452 in the receptive language part that there's a receptive language explosion going on primarily for typically developing babies at the beginning of this developmental period. And so we, we usually think about uh, language explosions as purely expressive. When does a child start to say a lot? But we, as early intervention professionals who deal with this stuff all the time, we know something's got to come before that, and that's the receptive language piece. And so we talked about that a lot back in 452, that the receptive language explosion is what's really happening here at the beginning or really throughout this 12 to 18 month period. And then we'll see the expressive language piece start to explode toward the end of this phase and certainly into that next developmental period with 18 to 24 months. So here at the beginning of this period, um, we uh, think about this happening. And again, we know with receptively, we have got to build that receptive language piece so that we can see all these wonderful skills that we're going to talk about today. All right, and let's let's talk for a second about our little friends with language delays and disorders. And I mentioned this in the beginning, but let's go ahead and talk about this now. We know that we, when we select goals for children, when we're working through uh, therapy with what we want them to work on next, we typically use these milestones as a marker and as a way to specify what we know comes next with development. And when we are doing this, this means what? We are using what? A developmental approach, meaning that if we have a child who is nowhere near talking, and we know that because he hasn't met all those 11 prelinguistic skills <laughs> that we talked about a lot here uh, on the podcast and on the channel, and at my website at Teach Me to Talk. I've written a whole book about that too. Let's talk about talking where you walk through those 11 skills. Our little guys, when we when they are nowhere near talking because and communicating because we, they're missing so many of those prelinguistic skills, we would not write a goal or should not write a goal using a developmental approach, a short-term goal that is, you know, to be able to use words to communicate. Why? Because we know that there's too much ground to cover. Typically, when we're, uh, you know, within the span of our plan and even though a parent might have said on an IFSP or an overall IEP goal which the therapist is writing that's you but we know that a parent might say something like uses words to communicate and that's probably still your IEP goal your long-term goal but know that your short-term goals are going to come from these milestones and again therapists know this but sometimes parents don't understand why we're reviewing the milestones why we can't just say 
this is what's going to happen and let's just work on talking day one minute one in speech therapy the first time we see this kid regardless of what he's doing and so that's not really how language happens and it's not how speech therapy should happen either and so you want to be really really specific about that when you the therapist are making this goal so that you don't set that child up for failure or set him up for not meeting a goal that was unrealistic from the beginning and so these milestones can really, really help you hone in on that. And you're, when you think, gosh, it's going to be six months before this kid talks, it really is. <laughs> because you know, again, by where he is. Now, can kids kind of do double time and have good catch-up time? Absolutely. And that is another reason that we have kids be in therapy, so that we can push that timeline a little bit. But bottom line, kids have to meet these other skills on the way to be able to using skills at a higher level. So the, these, again, are, uh, I, I want to mention the language explosion piece for a kid with language delays. He's not going to have it, probably his receptive language. Again, let's just say it like this. Let's say it more positively. He's not going to have his expressive language explosion until he's had his receptive language explosion. And so when you get a kid who's not understanding very much, you as that therapist better back off that expressive piece because you are just you know, treading water there. If you want to make a real difference, you got to speed that receptive language learning up. So, and let me say one more thing about age ranges. And again, it doesn't matter when a child meets these, if we know there's a language delay, don't get stuck on, he's still a year behind, he's still sick, you know, you, you wouldn't probably not be too upset about a six-month delay, but parents will get upset about that kind of thing, and you've got to kind of take their take that number piece out especially if that's upsetting to them they've got to know the information from the from the beginning but just look at these as again a process and a continuum uh, when a child is moving uh, through all, all these things all right with language acquisition so let's begin with our first milestone and this is a big one we've got a lot of things to talk about here so imitates play sounds and words frequently and spontaneously and so again we talked a lot about imitation and its importance back in show 451 and remember we said what did we say about imitation and every time I'm talking about imitation I say this line and I get emails from therapists that are so sweet and they say I quote you all the time I even I even sound a little bit southern now because I've listened to you so much but what do we say about imitation in every single show we say imitation is how all of us learn everything we copy what other people do and we see uh, and somebody do something and then we try to do it ourselves so there is a hierarchy or a method for teaching a child to imitate we reviewed this back in 451 so if you want that longer explanation go back and listen to that show and actually i've written a whole book about that too about teaching imitation and done tons of courses on it here uh, on our YouTube channel and if you'll look in our $5 and $10 CEU library these courses are actually there's a whole series about teaching imitation it show 422 to 429 and we walk through that whole process and so if this is new information for you or if this is the first time you've ever stumbled upon anything <laughs> that I've done or any of my work that's a fantastic place to start and therapists are always saying where should I start with all your stuff you have a lot of things that podcast series and looking at that imitation hierarchy will literally change your career and so as we are sitting here talking about 12 to 18 months uh, look at those l let's just go ahead and break down break that down just one quick little review and I promise I'm not going to get stuck here and just you know 
keep on and on and on about it. But I do want to say that by 12 months, imitation is firmly established. And we know with typically developing children, a lot of these things do. They come in layer upon layer, but they, they move so quickly that you may not recognize it. But our little kids with language delays stay in each phase longer, or they may actually plateau or get stuck at a level, and we have to bump them up. And that's essentially what's happened when we have our little friends who are pretty good imitators of things that are nonverbal, but then they get to the uh, imitating words Piece, and they may say a, or even sounds before that with exclamatory sounds and play words like we're talking about here in this milestone. They, they just get kind of stuck there and can't go any further. And so, again, that's what we've got to do is figure out where is that breakdown in imitation and let me help them work through that hump so that they can get over that. So real quickly, let's just run through this little hierarchy. First, kids learn how to imitate non-verbally. So they imitate actions with objects, and then they also imitate a lot of body movements or uh, even facial expressions as it kind of moves up their body. And then they begin to imitate some non-verbal things that they do with their mouths, like clicking their tongues or blowing a raspberry, doing that kind of thing. Then they begin to imitate some vocalizations with that that aren't necessarily words, but they're using their voices. So they may fake cough or fake sneeze or pant <laughs> you know they're directing that little airway but it's not quite a word and then kids begin to use kind of almost words so those play sounds that can be spelled so more like words like the animal sounds that we talked about and the little exclamatory words and then kids begin to uh, imitate words that are directly tied to context so verbal routines so words like go when you say ready set go you know that that word comes next and a child begins to anticipate that too and then after then is when kids really begin to imitate and then spontaneously imitate meaning that you don't have to cue them you say the word and they know they're supposed to repeat it uh, they do that and so that's that whole continuum of, of imitation and so here in this developmental level um, babies again really perfect and hone that skill of learning how to imitate in fact, babies are such good imitators by this point. By the end of this developmental period, many, many, many typically developing babies are not only imitating familiar words all the time, they're starting to imitate some phrases. And so longer, longer, and longer pieces of speech that they can imitate. And so that's an exciting period. Now, for those of you who think that, oh, Laura, you have just lost your mind because Using two-word phrases doesn't come in until the child is 24 months. Well, remember that we are talking about imitating at that point. And, and as, as we go through to the next show, between 18 and 24 months, we know that children do start to use a lot of uh, phrases and combine their words on their own. So now they're starting to generate their own phases, phrases. That comes next. But here in this period, before we get there, what do we say? Before they use it spontaneously, kids have to imitate it. So that's what we're talking about. And we're not going to get into imitating phrases today. We're way back at the beginning of this period, more like 12 to 13 months rather than all the way up at 18 months. But you get my point here. I also want to say for those of you who are not speech language pathologists, 
and who haven't studied language development like we have, you may really get skewed in your perceptions of what typical language development is. And you may think, well, if a kid has this, you know, they're supposed to be using 50 words and saying some phrases by 24 months, it's okay if they don't do it till 30 months. No, don't do that. Don't skew your own perceptions. And and the other part of that is we never want to really uh, prohibit a child from obtaining services when, when we can provide them when, and when they meet the eligibility requirements because we assess them correctly and because we have our own perceptions of typical development firmly in line and we don't get skewed by the fact that we see kids with delays and so then we start to think nobody talks till they're two or that kind of thing so don't do that be sure that you are really really thinking about these milestones and again that's one of the reasons that we're doing this series here all right so Enough about the data, enough about the hierarchy. Let's talk about what we can do to increase imitation here. And remember, we're talking about play sounds and simple, familiar words. I've done lots of podcasts about this, but this is kind of what I call the one slide version. (laughs) And this is here on your handout too, a little walk through with this. But what do we do to get kids to really imitate? We've already, again, we already walked through that process, but first we model. We model single words. So we use a lot of those words that are the target word, like if we want a child to learn how to say uh, cookie. Cookies are his favorite snack. And so we think, oh, this is something he likes. This is a good target. I've heard him do a consonant at the back of his mouth let's try this sound or let's try this word and so cookie might be a word that you would target there and so we would want to say the word cookie a lot and so repetition is a real important factor here when we're using words or using phrases and talking to a child you don't start the sentence or the phrase with cookie either you want to put the target word where at the end so that's the most salient word the most important word the word that the child notices most at the end of those phrases. So model those key single words frequently. That's your first strategy here to increase imitation. The second one is your body language. And so expectant waiting. And this is the kind of the pregnant pause, (coughs) pardon me, where we lean forward. You might even do a little gasp like I just did then, which kind of got me choked up. I'm still suffering from all these allergies. And so that kind of tell me face sets the stage and it's anticipatory and so many times when we change our body language like that we'll get so much more from a child i was talking to a clinician earlier this week who was talking about that and she's supervising a student right now and she was saying it's amazing just how much these little tweaks that we can make even when you're working with a student or with a mom and you say look have you noticed that when i want him to say something do you ever have you ever really thought about what I'm doing there and why it works sometimes and why it doesn't and it's not always dependent on the kid it's me you know when I'm doing this when I remember to give him all of his anticipatory cues meaning I anticipate that he's what going to talk so when I give him all those cues he does it and so you point that out to a mom and you tell her how to do it say I want you to watch me here look what I'm doing I'm leaning forward got my eyes real big I kind of do that little that little gasp you know like I'm waiting I'm waiting and so again that's the second strategy and this is kind of we we talk about that therapy is science but it's also an art so this would kind of be the art piece where it's it's how we do what we're doing we're not just pausing and waiting 
how are we doing that? And so with expectant waiting, we can get much, much better results and really increase, especially for the kids that just need that little extra motivation to try to want to bump it up and say it. And motivation is not the only reason that kids don't talk. (laughs) Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying there. But at the same time, I want you to know that that anticipation is big. And so do your expectant waiting. Third skill here to teach imitation or to anticipate or to increase the likelihood that a child will imitate is reward imitating. And this is particularly important for our friends who um, maybe you're on the autism spectrum or any kind of friend that imitating is super hard for them. And so we always want to start out with a natural reward, which means what? Give them what they want. Give them what they've asked for or what you're setting up as your target there. The second kind of level of reinforcement there with rewarding imitating would be praise paired with physical contact and so you're going to reach over and pat their little legs or squeeze them or give them a hug or tickle or do whatever they like and you're saying oh you're doing so good and eventually that verbal praise can kind of take the place of that sometimes kids are ready for that but when it's super super hard ready for it just to be verbal praise when it's super hard and when a kid's not very motivated by you and doesn't really want to please you like sometimes that happens where kids just not that into it you have to again pair that physical contact with the verbal praise so that that verbal praise becomes more meaningful now for some kids we've got to bump it up even more we have to give a tangible reward and so this would be the kid i say would go all aba on it (laughs) and that would mean with our approach then we're going to give a physical or a tangible something physical meaning a physical actual piece of something or or turn with a toy but usually it's an edible so a really small snack, snack or something. And that's what our friends in ABA really, really perfected with uh, that uh, continuous reinforcement cycle so that a child becomes, uh, gets first of all, he gets more and more practice, which we as SLPs know that's going to drive that motor process and we want that moving along. But also just from an intrinsic motivation point, they want to keep working for that uh, payoff that they get. And so for some of our kids, we really do have to do that at the beginning. Once a child is imitating pretty well, then we break out choices. And I don't just mean, do you want to play bubbles or balls? I mean, you got to do, you have to do 20 choices during that whole little routine. And so if you were picking bubbles, you know, if if the child picked bubbles and then, oh, should I leave the top on or take it off? And then, okay, after you've got the top off, oh my goodness, the wine, should I leave it in or take it out? Then he has to imitate out. Oh, where do you want me to blow the bubbles? Or, Or what should I do? Should I stop or should I blow? And again, that keyword, try to put your keyword if they're new imitators at the end. At the beginning, of the word the beginning of that little choice is going to be hard but that's the only way that you know a kid really understands it either but at the beginning when you're working on kids at this level when you're just trying to get them to imitate anything stick with your keywords at the end you don't want to make a mechalalic though where everything is i repeat the last phrase but the last word i hear in the phrase that is kind of normal but at the same time we want their receptive language to kick in so that they understand what they're saying and don't just say the last thing you said after choices uh, once we have given those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of choices with the child and again I'm not talking about over the course of you know six months I'm talking about in a day or two <laughs> you should have given a child over a hundred choices 
his imitations are going to become spontaneous. It gets to the point where you start to say, you know, bubble or ball, and then he's automatically going to pick. You're not going to have to sit there and really cue and cue and cue. Or imitations become spontaneous in the way that you say, <clears throat> oh, let's play cars. And he says, cars. And you say, oh, look, uh, I've got the car. We're going to make it go. And he says, go. And so then where he, again, is spontaneously imitating often and that's where we want to get here uh, and that's what we want to do by the end of this developmental period so if a child can't imitate words what do we do then back down to those easier earlier levels of imitation i'm not going to walk through that hierarchy again but if they can't do words they need to do play sounds if they can't do play sounds they need to do what body movements and gestures if they can't do body movements and gestures what do they need to do imitating other nonverbal things like actions with objects so again back them down anytime a kid can't meet the goal it's because it's what it's too hard so you've got to make it easier we discussed that a lot in 451 so if you need more information about teaching imitation go back and look at that show watch that show or that entire podcast series about imitation and that shows 422 through 429 all right, let's move on to this second milestone here. Uses gestures to purposefully communicate. And we said by 12 months, children are beginning to imitate not only sounds, but gestures too. And so remember, gestures are the way that we share messages through our body movements. And toddlers really really perfect like we said with imitation they're perfecting imitation throughout this developmental period same thing with gestures and Dr. Amy Weatherby says that kids need to use 16 gestures by 16 months and then again not only for the gestural development because that's so communicative when we actually use gestures throughout our entire lives you can you've seen me here on the podcast I can't even open my mouth without moving my hands too right so super super important but the other thing that's happening is we're really uh, uh, supporting their cognitive development and their capacity to learn language and so the milestones there uh, with looking at they've become symbolic they are learning how again just increasing not just one or two little gestures but they have you know over a dozen gestures and so that's what we want to uh, be able to do back in show 451 we took a lo uh, look took a long look a long list of gestures that we had among them reaching up to be picked up clapping waving pointing blowing kisses turning away in protest or you know sometimes with the hand shaking their little heads no or yes it's usually no first right leading a parent to what they want or tapping or patting for attention those are some of the gestures that we see kids begin to use purposefully to communicate in this period so they're not really imitating you all the time anymore they don't necessarily have to see you wave bye-bye before they wave bye-bye it's become meaningful they can do it on their own sometimes in therapy we see that right a kid we're doing something kind of hard they've been there a while it's toward the end of the session and they just sit back and kind of start waving at you and that tells you what like I am out of here <laughs> I am finished <laughs> I have got to go this is enough and so again they start to use those gestures on their own kids who can use gestures are in a much better position to communicate than children who don't they are much easier for adults around them to understand and so they get their needs met more often and they're less frustrated 
So many of our little guys with speech language delays actually learn to use gestures very, very well to compensate for their lack of words. And we actually want to promote that. And like we talked about back in the introduction, gestures precede words in language development. So we always want to make sure we're paying attention to that. So if you are a pediatric speech language pathologist or a developmental interventionist or specialist, whatever they call you in your state, you teach your people, you've really got to think about that. If you are just going straight for words and not really paying attention to gestures and not incorporating a lot of gestures in your treatment sessions, you want to do that and you want to start to make sure that you are modeling that so effectively that parents get it and they and you talk to them about it too. You not only show them what to do, you tell them what to do and you say, hey, we've got to really get these gestures going and really, really pump these up because we know that gestures come just before words start to emerge. So let, let's, you know, help this along here and get some of these gestures going. The other great thing about gestures in this period is that early gestures turn into words. And so kids start to be uh, be able to vocalize and then approximate a word as they're using the gesture. So before they've just maybe waved bye-bye, but now they actually try to say bye-bye. Before they might have clapped with you, but now they're saying what? Yay! <laughs> because they've heard you say that probably thousands of times, right? When their nose is snarled, when they don't like a food, or when, say, they have a stinky diaper, that turns into what? Ooh! You know, they put that little vocalization with it. Shaking their little finger then and their head becomes what? No, 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 right? And so lots of those early words develop with the gestures that a child is using. So again, how do we work on it? We model gestures all day long. We use the tell him, show him, help him approach that we talked about back in re with receptive language in show 452. And so we, we use the gesture. We're using our vocalization with it. And then if he doesn't do it, what should you do? You should reach out and help him do it. So take his little hand and help him use that gesture. You cannot make a kid talk, but you can help them gesture. And that's so important and, and really help parents uh, understand that. If you can't uh, get imitation going with gestures, you've got to back up to hand motions with songs. And so think about things like if you're happy and you know it, or uh, even Itsy Bitsy Spider, or Patty Cake, or anything like that, where they are imitating those hand motions. And again, if you're happy and you know it, that just sets it up so beautifully to teach that imitation. And parents love practicing that way because it provides so much structure for them. They know what to do next. They they know that song. And that's a lot easier than saying something like play imitation games. So they get that. So that's, um, that's certainly... Um, a strategy and an activity that we want to recommend to help children learn how to do gestures and imitate nonverbal uh, body movements. All right, let's move on and talk about the next milestone, which is combines gestures and vocalizations. And remember what I said about this before in the introduction. This is not always on the test, but we love it as SLPs because it's just a, just such a nice um, next step for kids because they've learned how to gesture and they've learned how to vocalize and we put them together and they're doing it. It's, it's like a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? <laughs> You've got the peanut butter and the chocolate and here it comes together and makes something beautiful. <laughs> and that's how we feel about kids who are learning how to do that. And so 
way before uh, kids begin to use word combinations, they're usually combining a gesture with a word or a vocalization. And so that's certainly something that we want to promote and that we want to come in because it tells us that cognitively they can join two ideas and they will never get to the point that they can meaningfully and spontaneously generate their own phrases with picking this word out of my word bank and this word out of my word bank that I that mommy has not just said but I can join them together on my own they're not going to be able to do that with phrases until they've done some of these other things first and so let me give you an example at the beginning when a child is combining vocalizations and gestures and this might be you know right around 12 months he when he wants something and this is something classic that we see in speech therapy with our older kids who can't talk but they can do this they reach for something and they say ah 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 right they're telling they're telling you i want that they're reaching for it their reach may not you know it's a gross approximation of a point right we want them pointing pointing would be the higher level thing there and then the uh 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 we want it to turn into a word you know i want that or or you know a phrase or a holistic phrase or uh you know ball or whatever truck whatever they're reaching for so um that happens early in the this developmental period and then by the time they get further along it becomes more complex so like we said the reach becomes the point i've got this cute story from our little grandbaby henry who's now 13 months old and our daughter told me that, uh, you know, we were we talk about his language development, you know, all day, every day. It's it's one of our main topics, as you can imagine. And getting to, uh, you know, be a grandmother, but I, but a language professional with my daughter, who's also a language professional, that's been really, really exciting for us. And such a great reminder of typical development. And so when Henry's dad came in the room, uh, he looked at him, Macy said she was holding him, and he looked at him, and then he, he said, Dada, and uh, John said, what? And he, he pointed to the fridge and said, Baba, and Macy was excited, and they were both so excited about that because that is so complex. He said his name, and then he combined the point with the word approximation for bottle, and so that is a fantastic representation of the kind of thing that we want to see happen throughout this period. So how can we get this going? You've just got to model it. You've got to really consciously point and talk. You know, when you're reaching for something, use your gimme fingers there. When you're shaking your head no, you know, add that finger too and say the little word that you wanted to repeat. When a kid can't find something, you say, where'd it go? Where? Where? And you're using your body language and you're using your facial expressions. And again, you're pairing those early words or even little holistic phrases. You know, a lot of times kids will say what? Go! go you know they start with the the part that's at the end when you're calling mama like we talked about uh, for the mama game back in the uh, by 12 months section or those two shows there using that little gesture you know putting your hands up by your mouth all of these things facilitate it sometimes our little guys with motor planning issues actually do better with popping out the word when you pair a motor movement with it because you've really just uh, facilitated that additional motor plan for that word by using your motor action with it. And so when you begin this, you'll see an increase in gestures. You will. A kid will begin to use a lot more gestures. If you don't, what's the specific problem? Is it a physical motor problem? So is there a strength problem? Is there a coordination problem? Is there um, paralysis with our kids, you know, maybe who have had CVAs in utero or, you know, CVAs shortly after birth or, you know, a bleed because of premature maturity 
you know, that that could really happen. So you've got to take that into consideration, too. Those kids can't use their bodies as well. And so even if their cognitive receptive language piece is moving along, there still might be a problem with using gestures because of their body movement. So that's why we have OT and PT, right? <laughs> so that would certainly be something that, you know, that's the piece that you can tease out. Is there a cognitive problem? Are they having difficulty linking meaning with gestures? Do they just not get it? And so again, we know that we're going to build their cognitive skills. And how do we do that? We go back to that previous developmental period. We make sure they've mastered those three big cognitive milestones. Uh, we with object prominence, cause and effect, and simple problem solving. You know, that's how we know. Well, I know this is a cognitive skill he can't do. The cognitive skills here in this period that we talked about back in show 452, is he demonstrating functional use of objects? Oh, you know, no, that that's not. So that tells you, gosh, there's a cognitive problem here. Might be a social problem. Our little friends with autism don't watch other people sometimes well enough to imitate their actions and imitate their gestures. They also have great difficulty with nonverbal communication. That's one of the diagnostic criteria or characteristics of autism, right? And so again, tease out what the problem is. Why aren't they doing this? And, and really, when you isolate what you think the problem is, you're much, much closer to a solution. All right, the next milestone is names five to seven familiar objects. Now, this one is so, so important because we get begin to know once and for all that a child is indeed learning language. <laughs> so that when you say cup and they say cup you think ah oh, you know hallelujah they've done it or then here where we start to say what's that and they say cup or cup without the model again you feel like the heavens have just opened up and the angels are singing this child will really talk right so it's such an exciting time for us as therapists and as parents so vocabularies of new talkers consist mostly of nouns and so again that's what we're talking about here names of things favorite things the only way to work on this goal is to be sure kids hear it and 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 then that we're encouraging imitation. So you've got to model these object names very deliberately as you show a child the item. You can't just start with what's that? What's this? You've got to really be sure that you are intentionally being very, very, very purposeful and direct about this goal. Now, while most parents will naturally label objects in their home without being told to do that, particularly when they're worried about language, it's so important that you make them understand that their performance <laughs> their child's performance is directly related to their performance here now does it am i saying that when a child is not talking that it's just because the parent has not talked to him no i'm not saying that but i'm saying if a parent is not talking to him and labeling he doesn't have a shot <laughs> so make sure that parents really understand what they should be doing help parents pick really specific target words to work on when you're at this developmental level and so again these are not that you take a vocabulary list like one that's here on page three of your handout i've given you a good list but you figure out what words are important in that child's daily routines if he never eats an apple which he probably if it's you know he's probably not right that's a harder consistency and so why parents probably you know a choking risk they're probably not going to give that to him yet probably not until he has a lot of teeth and so why would you teach the word apple right and so you've got to be really really direct with parents about this too because so many times they, they'll just resort to like taking down the abc book and looking at the pictures and you know beginning with things that again airplane how often is a child going to see an airplane unless he has a toy 
boy right there or lives close to the airport <laughs> or or somehow travels a lot and is and actually sees the plane as he's in the airport you know they're real purposeful about that that's not really functional and so keep those words really functional they've all you've also got to talk about consistency and repetition and so it's not just that mom every night is going to say the word duck uh, to her child when he's taking a bath she can't just say it a few times she's got to say it like 25 30 50 times during that bath time so that a child really has an opportunity to be able to imitate and so make some lists with parents say at meals what do you think the key words that you should work on you know cup milk more and so more uh, again not a great example here because we're talking about naming familiar objects but you get my point what are the words that a child is using frequently or the objects that a child is using frequently that we want him uh, to be able to use frequently so Let's tie this milestone with receptive language development and play skills for a minute. Remember, we talked about the big cognitive things that are coming in that we mentioned back in show 452. Remember, we said that kids were going to demonstrate functional use of objects, and then we said that they are going to imitate actions during play. So this sets you up so well to work on expressive language and naming familiar objects here at this developmental level because you can use what's naturally coming in receptively. And again, this is how all of this ties in and really, really meshes together. So when you were playing with something like a baby doll, you're labeling, you're saying, baby, let's play with the baby. Oh, what can we do with the baby? Oh, see the baby? Oh, look, look, she's hungry. She's hungry. Let's eat, baby. Come on, baby. So your keyword there, baby, you've repeated it over and over and over and over. And then eventually you're going to be able to say, look what's that? And you want a child to say baby. And again, you might have some direct imitations or you will in between there. Oh, here's a baby. Tell me baby. Say baby. Those kinds of things before you're going to start to hear those spontaneous uh, labels, but you'll get there. And my point is you've got to set the stage and you've got to label, label, label. After a while, you do begin to ask, what's that? You cue a child to name the object. And again, so we label so they can imitate. We give the direct cues to imitate and say the word. And here's what I do if a kid is still really having trouble doing this. And again, this is not so much for a typically developing baby. If you've tuned in to kind of get some tips to tune up your own parenting here with your child who's chronologically at this developmental period, this might not be a technique that works as well as it does for us when kids are a little older and we're still working at this language level. And so you ask, what's that when you have something? And then you wait a minute and then you give them the carrier phrase and you say, it's uh, whatever the thing is. You don't want to stick with the it's a forever so that the child, I had a child one time that labeled everything that way with Santa, you know, something that didn't make sense. You would say, what's this? And he would say, it's a Santa instead of just kind of using his name. Uh, You know, that would be weird if he said it, it's a Mark, you know, (laughs) if a child's name is Mark, you know, if you think about the kind of that one to one ratio with that analogy there. So when you do that, the whole, that carrier phrase, what's that? It's a, and again, you're doing that expectant waiting so that a child begins to pop out and use that word and name that object spontaneously. You fill it in if he doesn't. And so again, let me model it a little bit better because I think I could botch it a little bit. And so you're playing and let's just use the, let's use the word bowl. 
let's say you're playing with that same baby doll and you've got the bowl there and so you know you've played with the bowl and you've labeled it and for weeks and weeks and weeks and so she's imitated a little uh, you know a lot and a little bit at the beginning and then more and more and more so you think oh she's ready to spontaneously name this and so you say you say oh what's that and if she doesn't imitate you say what's that tell me it's a and that's how you would do it and so again keep those little pauses in there give her you're probably going to want to wait even longer than i did there i get nervous sometimes when i'm modeling these examples even after you know all these years but you get my point here you've got to wait you've got to get to give the child time to respond but that carrier phrase it's a that set it up. That set it up for her to jump in there and fill in that word. Vary your carrier phrase. It's a, that's a, I see, I have, there's a. You don't want to facilitate an echoic sounding answer. And our friends in ABA, I'm not slamming them, but sometimes they do not uh, model enough variety so that a child with autism doesn't sound so robotic. And sometimes our little friends with autism do that anyway. You've done a great job. They've just kind of latched onto a little phrase. And so it's not always the adult's fault, quote unquote, but at the same time, we can help that when we vary our carrier phrase. But it ties in. It's a super effective technique, and I hope that works well for you. Let's move on and talk about the next milestone, adds words to build spontaneous vocabulary. And this is when we know that a child is on their way to talking. And we know that that language explosion is building. So let's look at some data here. The time-tested standard that we're using is that for expressive language, by 18 months, kids should use 50 words. And you may have bumped that up to 24 months. And again, that's giving all that time for that whole range of Typical development, not every kid is going to hit those, even without a delay. Typically developing kids, there's a big range of normal. And so when we're looking at uh, standards here, we look at what the child or ch is doing who's at the 50th percentile. So the average kid. And so the average 18-month-old has 50 words. That also means that the other part of typical development down to where we think about the delayed level at whatever percentage you know just off the top of your head five percent you know at the you know the last our little friends you know are scoring in that bottom five percent so that other 45 percent down there won't have 50 words by 18 months but that's still the standard dr rosetti says 15 words by 18 months that's kind of our outlier for what's normal so i think about that 18 month range true typical development between 15 and 50 words the truth is some 18 month olds have more words than that they really do and so if you are a therapist who's lost touch with normal you might need to go out and do some volunteer work or do something where you can keep your memory alive with uh, two-year-olds that really do talk and 18-month-olds that really talk all right there's a vocabulary list on page three of your handout we already talked about that most of our early talkers, you, their vocabularies consist mostly of nouns. But we also have these other parts of speech on here. And nouns, again, names of their favorite things. Also, other names for things that are really, really common. Once children master those, 
you know, we are going to add some other parts of speech, but here at this period, we're really, really focused on those nouns. So we always want to choose words. If we're choosing targets for our little friends in speech therapy, uh, we can look at a list like this, but we always want to consider what's familiar to them. Like we said, we want it to be totally functional, what's easy to say. And then more importantly, we accept a kid's approximation of a word. If they love cheese and they're just saying E for cheese, that is fine. If they say duh for dog, all right, the vowel's a little bit messed up, but who cares, right? You know what they mean. They've got that initial D. So, uh, Talk to parents about that. Talk about how they can teach more and more and more nouns. Talk about those other word classes too, social words, early verbs, and prepositions. We do want those coming in, particularly as we head towards 16, 17, 18 months, because we do want kids having a big enough vocabulary or word bank to be able to combine those words into phrases here at the 18-month level. We're not going to talk about that in this show. We're going to put that off to the next show when we're looking at 18 to 24 months, um, but we'll get we'll talk about that a lot next time. All right, so let's move on and use this true words within jargon. So many toddlers use prolific jargon during this developmental period. True words within this tell us two things. One, they're really learning language, and two, they get that they're supposed to talk in longer utterances, but they don't have the vocabulary yet. But we like the fact that their combinations are already there, their sound combinations. We don't worry about apraxia when we hear a kid doing a lot of jargon. Apraxia is not the problem. <laughs> they can already combine sounds. So anytime that you're hearing a lot of that, you know that uh, apraxia is not the diagnosis for that child. So jargon, let's talk about jargon too. Jargon, again, can be completely typical, but jargon is also an atypical indicator once a child turns two, particularly if he's not using any recognizable words, it's just jargon. And then we know that that child is developing speech, but the language part is missing. He needs the vocabulary. It could be that it really is a speech sound issue, that he's just not getting the right words in the right places, but you probably should already be recognizing words by two. And if that's not happening, we know that that's usually associated with a uh, receptive language problem. Again, it's a vocabulary problem. And so many times, you know, I had a parent, and I tell this story in Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. This is where uh, all of the information from this show originates in this manual, and we'll talk about it at the end and what a great resource that is for you. But this story, and this happened really early in my career, this little guy used jargon all the time. And I really was focusing on single words and I could never get him to imitate a single word I didn't this was well before I developed that imitation hierarchy and again really early in my career and so I, I just was kind of frustrated with him and still didn't understand why things were moving along and this mom when we were at an IFSP meeting never direct never addressed this with me in one-on-one -on -one in sessions but she said in front of this little boy's team I don't understand why you keep trying to get him to say words when he's so obviously saying sentences and so as a new therapist that just was the first time I'd really thought about that that mom really thought he was talking in sentences and she really thought that all the words were meaningful but unintelligible and so that meant that I had not done a good enough job explaining jargon and I had not said hey we've got a big receptive language problem here and he can talk but he, he doesn't know what words mean yet he's hardly following any directions and so I had not done a good job of educating her with how language development occurs 
worse, even when it's atypical. Now, this little guy did go on to be diagnosed with autism. And this was, oh gosh, I think this was still in the 90s, you know, when autism really, really exploded. But at the same time, I learned such a big lesson there that we always really have to talk to parents about exactly what's happening with their child and then tie it to why you're working on what you're working on. And so we were sticking to single words because, one, I wanted him to imitate single words. But even more importantly than that, I wanted him to understand single words and link that meaning. And so you've got to really, really talk uh, about that with parents. With our expressive goal here, uh, with what we're talking about here, with adding words to build spontaneous vocabulary is still one word at a time. Now, toddlers can begin to use some holistic phrases here, uh, and they're usually gestalt learners, meaning they learn everything in chunks. So things like, I did it. I got it. Where'd it go? Come on. What's that? But generally, that, that's toward the end of this period, and so we'll spend a lot of time talking about that in uh, 4.55, <laughs> uh, two shows from now, where we're going to talk about expressive language, 18 to 24 months. Let's move on and talk about sings independently, and these last little milestones are pretty quick and pretty self-explanatory, so I want to just talk to you about how to facilitate these. So sings independently. Like we said before, by 12 months, kids are usually trying to sing. And during this phase, it's so wonderful because a child tries to begin to sing on their own. So in order to sing a song, a child has to what? Hear the song over and over and over, often enough to remember. So do you have favorites that you regularly sing in your therapy sessions or that are tied to everyday routines with your own child? You should. And if that's something you're not doing already, get that going today. And let me give you an even more effective way to use music. This is with what's um, similar to the technique that we talked about uh, back a um, uh, milestone or two ago when we were saying names, five to seven familiar objects. That's where we kind of set it up with a, a phrase so that the child is going to be able to fill in the last word. And so that's what verbal routines are. And we do this here with songs. And so you're singing something like the end of Ro uh, the end of uh, Ring Around the Rosies, where you're saying, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And we want the kid to fill in that word. And so use songs here in that way to set it up. Maybe a parent has sung... Um, twinkle twinkle little star to that little girl every night that's one of their bedtime routines and so eventually mom should start to pause she should sing twinkle twinkle little and then wait and see if her little girl will fill in star now is star an easy word to say no but she could say ah she could say ta da whatever her little version of that is that's fine and again word approximations are our friend here <laughs> because we want to start with something that we can work with let's talk about what to do if a child hates music covers his ears anytime he hears you sing Every time I talk about this, I kind of say the same thing. It's not you. <laughs> These are auditory sensitivities. And so that child, again, it kind of, you're singing, anybody singing, you know, a, a pop star could be singing and it would, to that child, be like fingernails scraping down a chalkboard, right? They just have those sensitivities there. So when that happens, we don't stop singing. Do not stop singing. At the beginning, you might make singing more like chanting. And so it's, instead of singing, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you're doing something more like, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. And again, th that will help a lot of children 
tolerate that singing and become more and more comfortable with that, but still keep singing because kids need to build up their tolerance for that. Guess what preschool teachers do all day long? They sing, sing, sing. And so even in a developmental classroom, even in a special ed preschool classroom, uh, teachers are going to sing. And so you want to help our little friends move toward that. I have had so much success with helping little friends who at the beginning just, you know, were in the corner with their hands over their ears or screaming Uh, again you don't want to keep causing that big response but at the same time you've got to work them toward being able to tolerate that all right the next milestone is a pragmatic one meaning language use so asks to have some needs met so by 12 to 15 months babies with typically developing speech will really begin to request some items with words or with signs or with pictures whatever they're using uh, and usually uh, again in typical development we are focused on words but I gave you that example before with my sweet grandbaby who who did his whole dada point with the baba that's asking to have a need met you've got to build vocabulary so that a child has the word first If you've never heard him imitate the word as a label, he is not going to be able to use that word as a request because labels typically come first, all right? Maybe not in every situation, but certainly imitated. We would have seen the child imitate it. And again, that's one of the, I like to say there are two things that have to happen before a child is going to ask to have some needs met. He's got to have receptive identification of that object. So he's got to know the word and he's got to have imitated the word over and over and over. You're not going to hear a word just out of the blue that a child has not imitated, particularly if he has a delay. That probably happens more in typical language development when a child is just spontaneously imitating all the time. But when there's a delay, we know that before a child really uses words spontaneously, we're going to have to hear them imitated for a while first. Let me say one other thing. They also have to have communicative intent here, meaning that they have to know to that they can ask you for something. They And again, that doesn't happen just when they pop out words. It happens first with gestures. It happens first by reaching and pointing and in other ways showing you that they want it. So when a child isn't doing this, we have to create some opportunities for a child to ask for what he wants. So you set up the situation so that he's more likely to want to request it. So you do um, it's not well let me just say this it's not as easy to set this up when a child is in this chronological uh, period because again they don't have the benefit of a little little more miles under their belt so this may this technique that we're going to talk about may work a little bit better with kids with language delays but let's go we'll talk about it here uh, well let's say this first usually here lots of times to get a kid to ask for what they want you just have to show it to them and and do some like little teasing or like mm, I wonder what you want you know that kind of thing where you're really uh, again just creating that opportunity and and so that you you get their bottle and you just wait for them to say bye-bye or uh, their cup or their toy that they like let's say it's their bear and you know that they can say bear and they they say buh for that and so you just you have their bear and you're just kind of standing there and, and waiting for them to say it so the therapist in you will naturally begin to cue <laughs> after this to facilitate a request and so again we do say things like oh mm, your bear I've got your bear oh, oh look what I have look what I have and so some parents again might just make it simpler and just say bear tell me bear and that's okay too but eventually uh, you want your child to be able to ask you you can also do some gentle withholding and so what do I mean by that gentle withholding means that you're going to keep it back until they say the word 
But if they don't say the word, you're going to give it to them anyway. And so we know that we always cue or provide how many cues. If you've listened to any of my work, you should know this three to five times. We're going to cue that word three to five times. So with bear, we're saying, oh, my goodness, look what I have. You know, that might be, you know, uh, here we probably would go ahead and that would be more. trying to give a spontaneous word but here if they haven't done it with that you're going to go ahead and cue the word oh look i have your bear that's one time oh my goodness here's bear that's two times oh i bet you want this are you going to tell me you know that would be three or four cues right there and so use that gentle withholding if they don't do it give it to them anyway not worth the power struggle we'll talk about this a lot in the next show this is referred to as communication temptations or environmental sabotage so effective and getting kids to learn how to use words spontaneously but we'll talk about that next time the next two uh milestones are real specific things and we paired them together in in the introduction so this is ask for more and ask what's that so the word more or actually the sign more gets a bad rap from a lot of early intervention speech language pathologists but not from me because it's on this developmental test is the developmental skill dr rosetti thought it was important enough to include and there are lots of other assessments that use that as well so i i teach that The problem is because there was some research generated that said kids with autism sometimes overgeneralize and use the sign or word more for everything. And so, so many therapists then stop teaching it, not just to our kids with autism or at risk for autism, but everybody don't do that. More is such a functional word. The problem when kids get stuck with a word like more or a sign like more is really with the adults. The adults did not move along fast enough and often enough to help a kid uh, develop more specific vocabulary and so you've got to be sure that you are doing that signing the word more is a game changer for lots of kids and lots of families when they first begin speech therapy i still try to teach it on day one if a kid has the prerequisite skills for signing meaning that he or she is using some other gestures and they can imitate some body movements don't bother teaching a sign until you've seen evidence (laughs) that they can do those things because you're not going to be as successful but if they can more is an easy one to get going all right, the next milestone asks, what's that? We talked about this already uh, back when we uh, were talking about naming familiar objects. And so again, I love this little milestone. I do not admittedly work on this often enough with my little friends, but it is a typically developing milestone and it is a holistic phrase. So kids at this developmental level do not understand that what and that are separate words. They know that it kind of goes together. So it's the whole thing. That's why we call it and they say it together it's a holistic phrase that they've learned as one word but they're asking for information as in you know what am i seeing there in reality we know what what are they doing they're imitating what they've heard their parents ask them all day every day because the parents are so delighted that this child is learning to talk and so they're working on it all the time and so their parents literally ask them what's that over and over and over and over and so very effective technique and that's what we as therapists you know certainly will do that but then we've got to really uh, facilitate the emergence of that too and so you can work on this just in play by asking asking what's that you can be real purposeful about it and get yourself a little bag of toys and pull out the first one and you know make a big deal about (gasps) what's that 
you know, and really emphasize that to the point that you know that a child is going to um, want to start to imitate your phrase there too. <clears throat> okay, so be sure that you go back and um, with what's that though, we, we still, again, um, don't want to make kids echolalic when they're doing that. You want to work on it, but not to the point that they don't get to the naming. You still want them naming that object. You don't want them just stuck there at that question. The last milestone here is uses a variety of consonant sounds in words. We talked about this a lot back in 451. The biggest thing that we're going to say here is that uh, speech sounds develop along a continuum too, but we do not panic. Uh, with a typically developing toddler who between 12 and 18 months is not correctly articulating every single sound and every single word. Our point here is, the milestone is, just that we want to see the emergence of these consonant sounds. Now, Dr. Rossetti says that by uh, 15 to 18 months, a baby will frequently include the sounds from the first uh, by 12 months, which were B, M, and G, so a sound at the front of them, a consonant at the front, a nasal sound, and then an approximation of a consonant at the back of their throat, so really gross use of these consonants. So then they're going to refine a little bit, so we'll start to hear some middle-of-the-mouth consonants by 15 to 18 months, so that would be T and D and N, and N is also, it's a middle-of-the-mouth sound because, and I'm calling it that, that's an alveolar sound for those of you who are speech-language pathologists. We call it that because the child's point of articulation, his tongue there, is going to elevate and touch his alveolar ridge, and so T's and D's are the consonants that we hear there. T, the unvoiced version, and D, the voiced version, and then N made it the same place in the mouth, but it's also a nasal sound, and then H, and so that, again, is a glottal sound, so a and so those are the consonant sounds that we start to hear in word attempts. Um, so much research about that, but let me just say, there's this is still really too early for goals per se, even if the child is chronologically older. Let's say that you have a two-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old who's working back at this 12 to 18-month level, and face it, that's where we get most of our little guys when they're referred for speech therapy right here at this 12-month level. It's still too early for you to be writing specific consonant sound goals for kids. All we want to do here is just facilitate that emergence and so get those vocalizations going. Here, it's really diagnostic. It's how we have to use this. We think, oh, these consonants are not developing yet. Mm, we could have a speech problem on our hands. <laughs> it could be just a delay. The sounds are later coming in, but it could be more disordered. It could be apraxia, and we know that children uh, are not with apraxia to have limited consonant use. I don't have my newest therapy manuals over here, but back in August, a few months ago, I just released the Apraxia Workbooks 1 and 2. And the research is overwhelming that lack of consonant development is one of the early markers for apraxia. And again, what do we do to work on that here? We're just watching. We're watching. We're facilitating that. We're going to see what's going to happen because the child needs more words. If this continues to be a problem, we know that we're going to kick in with those motor learning principles. And again, you can find, we're not going to talk about that today. You can find out about that in the Apraxia Workbooks 1 and 2. I just wanted to mention that here, so many times we're focused on language, 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 as we should be. But you'll know, gosh, there, there, there's a chance here for a speech issue too. They, it may be dysarthria, meaning that a child has an overall motor issue, a muscle tone 
known difference in his or her little body. That's not apraxia. That's dysarthria. Still a speech problem. We know, gosh, those consonants may be later coming in. It could be a phonological disorder, meaning, and that's the speech sound diagnosis that goes with the language disorder, language delay too, right? And so that's just the speech part of that. Not only is their language delayed or disordered, really, is what we're talking about, their, their speech sound systems are also disordered. So there's kind of the whole kit and caboodle is the problem there. And so, again, this is just diagnostic information. We aren't going to work on it yet. It's way too soon, especially with a child who's still within this chronological period, 12 to 18 months. But even in the developmental period, we know... As an early intervention professional, we need to emphasize language before we worry about speech. So that's my point with that. All right, that's the end of our milestone list. Again, if you uh, want this information in written form, please get the handout. That link is below. I mentioned this book earlier, but the best resource for teaching all these skills is my therapy manual, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. What a name, right? Uh, and so it got, it lists all the milestones that we're reviewing in this whole series of 14 podcasts. And so you can get not only the little handout here, but if you need the more specific directions, this manual will help you. I also mentioned, let's talk about talking. And this is the manual that uh, we use when children are missing so many of the pre-linguistic skills. And how do we know they're missing their pre-linguistic skills? Because they have trouble <laughs> with meeting nearly every milestone on this list. So many whole on that child's development and you're saying what is going on it's that the pre-linguistic skills are really really weak and so you've got to strengthen that so let's talk about talking is your resource for that that's all for today thank you so much for joining me for this podcast series this was these last two shows were expressive language and receptive language milestones by 18 months the next two shows we're bumping it up we're moving on to 18 to 24 months and if you thought that uh a language explosion with receptive language like we've had in this period was exciting. Wait till we get to the language explosion with expressive language. All right, that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and you've just listened to or watched Teach Me to Talk's podcast.